0: How's it going, comrades? You are listening to Historically, a show where we debunk myths and misinformation taught to you by schools and on corporate media. Today we were talking with Bruce Fryer, who is a professor of Roman law at the University of Michigan. Let's start the show.
1: First question, um, so uh, for people who weren't very familiar, how was the Roman society structured? What were the different class
2: of people? Uh, Roman society was, like most pre-modern societies, very uh, uh, mal-distributed in terms of wealth. That is to say, there were a group of very wealthy people uh, who were also pretty much in control of the political apparatus. Uh, if the Roman history, however, stretches over a very long period from uh, the 8th century, BCE, up up until the fall of the Western Empire in the 5th century. The Eastern Empire didn't fall until the 15th century. Um, So uh, uh, the structure doesn't remain the same over this period, but uh, what is pretty much uh, constant is the maldistribution of wealth. Um, uh, The um, top of society is represented by uh, the Uh, Senate and uh, later by the top officials of the empire, uh, including the Emperor, um, um, but if you go down to society, of course it's a uh, slave-holding economy, so uh, there are a good number of people who are just simply excluded from the social fabric, and then there are a large number of quite poor people living in cities or peasants on farms or whatever, so it's a very diverse society. with a, with a great deal more inequality than we associate with modern uh, industrialized societies.
1: Okay. Who is um, out. Um, uh, well, well, can we just talk about the pre Justinian period where it was just customary law?
2: It's not customary, um, in fact. Though um, uh, it starts out being uh, customary, perhaps, but by the, uh, by the <coughs> first century before our era the uh, law had come to be increasingly shaped by one one of the most important Roman innovations, which is the creation of a group of people who were legal experts and who were beginning to study law systematically in much the same way that we study it today. Um, These are are the Roman jurists. Um, They're not actually part of the judicial system. They're not judges, and they're not professors. They are individuals who... Uh, have a great interest in the law and to um, and to help others with respect to it. Um, the uh the jurists continue for about three centuries up until uh the first third of the um third century uh, um, after Christ. Um uh but uh, but law by then is pretty well established in the empire as a, an essential tool of government. So uh, it 's a complicated thing, but Roman law was never uh, actually purely customary, and custom sort of drops out of the picture uh, for much of it much of roman law's history uh, The codification of, uh, the codification by Justinian, which you refer to is not actually an attempt to codify customary law so much as it is an attempt to determine which of the which of the legal materials that existed before the sixth century were were still in force um, in in a relatively compact form it, the the, the uh, codification is not really compact but but it, it uh, it's a vast sprawling work but um, it um, uh, uh, distills what was done before does that help
1: oh it does a lot um Okay, J.D., don't you have a follow-up question?
2: Who
0: was uh, uh, afforded relief in the court, and who was um, eligible for Senate?
2: Who was eligible for? Oh, for
0: the Senate, and then who was uh, afforded relief in the court?
2: Oh, uh, in in theory, everyone is afforded relief in the court, so we know – a fair amount about people who litigated. We don't know much about the litigation itself, but uh, uh, litigation is available to all Roman citizens, um, particularly to adults, um, uh, um, both male and female. Um, it um, uh, so in that to that extent, it resembles modern litigation. However, it's only free people that had access, so that makes a difference. Um, uh, as to as to the Senate, the Senate was uh, Senate was comprised of uh, uh, the members of the top classes uh, who were selected on the basis of their experience and uh, their wealth.
1: Um, was there uh, okay? So, how was the slave structure in Rome? Was it fluid? Were slaves able to be not slaves in a certain way?
2: Uh, slavery in, in the ancient world is pretty much an extension of prior societies, but it's, it, um, in some respects it's less harsh than the, sl- the slave systems that we're used to in the New World. Um, uh, it, uh, it involved uh, uh, usually, at least originally, captured peoples uh, who were enslaved uh, and uh, brought, into the, uh, brought into the imperial uh, control um it's not based on race um uh although some racism probably does creep into it at the corners but it um it, it, it does involve uh, making people into uh objects um and uh, uh in that sense it's it's it certainly is harsh by our standards
0: Are you there, Isha? Yeah. Sure. Sorry, uh, mm-hmm. my
1: call dropped. i Would you mind repeating what you said? My call just dropped. dropped.
2: I'm sorry, I can't hear you.
1: Oh, could you repeat what you said? Just the last sentence, because my call just dropped.
2: Oh, I see. Uh, what I said was uh, the system is harsh on our standards, undoubtedly, um, but it is probably less harsh, uh, certainly less harsh in some respects than uh than than particularly American slavery was before the Civil War. Um for instance, uh it was quite common for slaves to be better educated than their masters. Um there were uh um there were no bars on on teaching s- slaves to read and um and slaves often did work for their masters that we might think of as accounting or or running households or whatever um uh, uh so in some respects it's better but uh it's not one of the glories of ancient rome that it was that it was a slave society
1: oh, yeah. okay. Um well, one thing um is can you talk about the 12 tables and why that okay. was revolutionary
2: sure um the uh, in uh, a lot of the story here is traditional it's hard to verify whether it was happening as uh, as much later historians claimed it was happening, but after the expulsion of the roman kings uh uh in five o nine uh the Romans attempted to set up a government that, that was uh republican in its form, and uh that government was 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 uh, ran into a number of problems that had to do with the law not being available or written down, and the twelve tables which were were um, Created by a commission of ten people in the middle of the fifth uh, century B.C.E., uh, made an attempt then to write down Roman law. Um, it it um, uh, the uh, much of it survives, but only in quotations. We don't have the uh, we don't have the uh, Twelve Tables themselves. Um, but they were they were essential tablets that, that listed all of the main provisions of roman law they are similar to uh to uh, documents of, of the same shape that have been produced in greek society greek city states at an earlier time <coughs> um
1: what, was there a concept of right, like things that, that in, in, in around 500 bc or around that time or were there only like Uh, like rights granted to the citizens from the government. Was that that concept ever present?
2: Uh, I'm I'm not sure that I caught your entire question.
1: Oh, like in our constitution, there are things that the government cannot do, like Congress can pass no law, blah, blah. Was there that that concept of rights back then?
2: Yes, I think uh, that's a complicated question. It's hard to answer. Uh, The Romans don't, the Romans begin when they begin thinking about law systematically, talking about private law, talking about civil laws, we would say, between individuals, um, constitutional law is a much, much later phenomenon. It doesn't really arise until the 17th century, but there are limits on what it is that the government can do that are at least uh, stated. There's nothing like constitutional law in our sense uh, in the in the Roman world. And in fact, it, it it's expressly said that... Um, the Roman emperors, in particular, were, were simply not bound by laws. Um, uh, they could do what they wanted to do, although uh, uh, they usually tried to observe legal limits on, on their activities. So it's, uh, it's not easy to, um, uh, to uh, get at. What constrained Roman emperors was basically um, a fear that if they behaved too tyrannically, they would be overthrown.
1: Ah, so that was this
0: year. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um as far as uh, slaves go, were they
2: forever bound to
0: slavery or was there a no. way they could gain freedom? Uh so it,
2: it, um it, slavery um is a uh, uh, uh for many slaves I'm sure it was a, a lifetime condition, but um but uh, it is fairly easy for for slaves to become free if uh, their masters are willing. Um masters quite frequently in their wills we know we know a great deal about this uh, provided for freedom for for uh, most or um or some of their slaves um it was a reward that was held out in order to make slaves perform um, roman law it, it, uh, what is reflected in in surviving sources is partly a um is, is partly a of all that that is based on punishment um as almost all slave systems are, but, but also a system that's based on rewards. It's much more reward-oriented than American law was uh, before the Civil War. Uh, uh, so you, freedom is held out as one of those rewards. Okay.
1: Um, can you explain um, – well, I guess you can learn a lot, a lot about a society from structured from how the law was – um, so, can you give us an example uh, besides the slavery one of the reward-based system uh, uh, of laws?
2: Well, freedom itself was a reward, but uh, during slavery, um, slaves that that, uh, um, that displayed loyalty to their masters or um, uh, or were of use to their masters often received a greater degree of freedom to act um, and. Um, and use that freedom, they were encouraged to use it. Um, For instance, it's not unusual for slaves to run businesses that were under the master's control. Um, That's something that you don't find in the American South. No. Yeah, Um, no, not at all. (laughs) uh,
1: Can you also talk about some of the key um, features in the 12 tables? I mean, yeah. I was just going to
0: ask about that.
1: Oh, sorry.
0: (laughs)
2: Yes.
1: Uh, Just like what were like what were the were were there provisions of contract law, family law? Like what were some of the things? Okay.
2: The the Twelve Tables uh, uh, give things in very very uh, uh, short form, so it's often a little difficult to understand what they were saying. But. it, it describes uh, a system for um, uh, uh, of, of, of law that includes both procedure, that you is how to time go into to, court, and, and the rights that you have as, as citizens. Uh, it's very incomplete, the 12 tables. I, uh, I think it, it was not meant to state things that seemed obvious to everyone. Um, in In part, it innovates. It makes some innovations, we think. Um, The Twelve Tables function in relationship to the subsequent Roman law rather in the same way that the Magna Carta does to our legal system. That is to say, it's regarded as a sort of essential document, but no one ever reads it. Uh, uh, (laughs) It has principles um, (coughs) that are carried out century after century, but uh, it it is uh, a somewhat remote document. Um, we never hear about much about how it was preserved or anything, except that it was commented upon. So it, it's um, it, it really is just the starting point for Roman law. It's not uh, um, it, it doesn't have much to do with the law as it would have looked at the time of Justinian, uh, centuries and centuries later.
1: Um- I have a quick question. So what was the like, what was the governing principle or law between the writing of the 12th table and the Codestinian Codex? Uh,
2: there is, I, it's hard to say that there's a governing principle. What gradually happens, uh, particularly under the influence of the Roman jurists, is that a series of concepts that we associate with law um, and with government by law, such as due process and um, uh, uh, the um, uh, equality before the law and so on uh, tend to become par- social values that are widely accepted um, it 's a it 's a very gradual process but it 's one that has a profound influence on, on not only Roman society but subsequent societies uh, um, i think uh, I think most of those principles uh, are generated within the um, Within the legal community, but they're principles that tend to be um, tend to be generalizable. Equity is another good example. Uh, they tend to have a great deal of social influence once they are articulated. Uh, they become part of the way people expect to live. So that people, instead of thinking uh, 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 about uh, vengeance when they have an mm-hmm. auto accident, tend now to think about what can I get in court. Um, uh and uh, uh will the courts be fair to me so i it's a it's a it's a difficult thing to articulate uh uh because it's not something that happens overnight um it, it happens more or less gradually through a sort of osmosis into um into society but it's a profound change in the way that uh uh that law acts in relationship to society and that's one of the things that uh that we like to study okay.
0: how did the justinian period come to be i'm sorry
1: how did the, how did the, uh, the justinian codex like what prompted the justinian codex and the justinian period
2: oh that's an interesting question by the time the justinian became emperor um, in the uh, in, in five hundred twenty eight by the time that Justinian became emperor, the Western Empire had collapsed in in, in the in, in the uh, Germanic uh, invasions. Um, all that was left was the Eastern Empire, but it was a we- very wealthy section of the empire and Justinian seems to have set out with a, an intention of rebuilding the Roman Empire as it did um, that was in part military he um, he sent armies into the west, uh, but it was in part through the reviving of Roman law as a uh, as a uh, influence uh, here he was undoubtedly uh, influenced by his his ministers who persuaded him that the way to do that was to uh, bring together all of the Roman legal materials that were still valuable. Uh, what he produced is um, two great works. Um, Within within d- just a few years after he became emperor, one of them is the Digest, which is uh, a compilation of uh, of all of the opinions of the Roman jurists that were regarded as still binding. That's about 800,000 words, which is about the length of the uh, of the Christian Bible. Um, and the other was the Codex, which is what it is that that I was working on. The Codex has about 400,000 words, and it contains uh, proclamations of the Roman emperors related to Roman law, Uh, uh, but those two works um, are are just huge, um, and uh, uh, they, however, represent only a very small portion of the legal materials that had been available previously. Um, Most of those legal materials are just simply lost to us, but both the Digest and the Codex Survive. Um, it's not a. It's not a, I should say it's not a codification exactly. It's it's more like a collection.
1: So were they like were they like our our Supreme Court rulings where they had to be bound by? I, they
2: they are they are made law by uh, Justinian um, and uh, they continue to be enforced. During the Byzantine Empire, uh, um, uh, they also have a great deal of influence during, in the West after the um, after about 1050 or so, when the particularly the Digest was rediscovered uh, and uh, uh, began to be taught in uh, in law schools. Law schools were started to uh, uh, to be formed in northern Italy and then in Paris. Uh, during the 11th century, and particularly during the 12th century, um, uh, law schools are uh, become part of the European uh, university movement in that period.
1: Um, when did when did that concept of having professional lawyers come to be?
2: Uh, it came to be. It, it, it's a little difficult because there had always been there had always been. Uh, in many societies, legal experts uh, who, who would offer uh, informed opinions about about courts. But um, uh, in, during the uh, during the second century BCE, and, and in particular during the first century, um, these these people began to gather and 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 uh, do two things that are really important. They began to write uh, uh, legal manuals for one another. That is to say that circulated within this group and that were technical enough that they were very hard for lay people to understand and they began to educate so that so that that the learning that they had was passed from generation to generation well i mean essentially that's that's um that that's the core of the legal profession as it emerged in the late um in the late roman republic
1: uh
2: and it uh, it's revolutionary i mean it it uh it it altered um law forever um as it seems
1: well, was it adversarial or was it yes was it oh the, the concept of professional lawyers it was, it was what how did they it, function compared to us
2: I should say the profession is is an upper class phenomenon. It's not associated with pay. Um, mm-hmm. They weren't paid for their work. Um, they uh, they tended to acquire prestige and sometimes political prestige as a result of their uh, good advice. But uh, 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 the um, they are uh, they are professionals by virtue of their knowledge by virtue of what it is that they're talking about, not by virtue of uh, of, uh, you know, sort of organizing in in the way we think of the legal profession today. There's no such thing as a bar association or any of that.
0: Was everyone available to go to these? uh... Yes.
2: Um, uh, In theory, it was just simply a matter of talent and knowledge. Um, And uh, on the other hand, just realistically, getting an education in the ancient world usually meant that you were upper class. Uh, it was difficult for people uh, in the great mass of society uh, to to rise, but uh, uh, within that limit, uh, if we talk, for instance, about the top 5% or, or something like that, it was possible for uh, almost anyone to uh, uh, to become... Uh, a, a, a jurist. There aren't very many of them at any one time. Probably just a handful at any one time. But uh, they uh, were available. Uh, they made themselves available to anyone who wished to consult them. Uh, and theoretically, they, at least, they did this on a nonpartisan basis. They didn't. Uh, uh, they weren't. They weren't advocates. They didn't go into court. At least, by and large, they weren't. They didn't go into court and argue cases or anything like that. They simply gave their opinions about the law. Uh and uh, uh that is that's the generation of this uh of this profession. Okay. Um I, it's 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 a little hard to explain because it's there's nothing really like it in the modern Western world. Uh um the, the um, this is the this is the legal profession in its earliest form and it's still very rudimentary, but the jurists themselves were extremely intelligent people. Um uh, that seems to be part of the selection process. And uh, they, um, uh, 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 they write, they write just an enormous number of uh, books.
1: Um, can you go over an example that might be interesting to people about, uh, of like a, a jurist's um, opinion or analysis?
2: Yeah. Um, I, it's, it, yeah, as I say, it's hard to duplicate because it's such a on such an informal basis. Um but uh uh it's a remarkable system. Uh and it's, it seems to have worked for about three hundred years. Um uh, after, which it, after which it uh it goes out of existence, but by then the texture of the Roman Empire has been quite substantially altered.
1: Okay. Um also um Can you talk about the concept of citizenship, a post justinian era, and how that was unique?
2: Uh, I can. Uh, Citizenship is not something that the jurist actually talks much about because it's a public law concept. But Roman citizenship is uh, something that was originally a prized possession. That is to say, the Romans were uh, the determiners of the empire. during the, during the course of the first uh, couple centuries of the empire, uh, Roman citizenship gradually spreads until by the, until, uh, uh, at the beginning of the 3rd um, century uh, CE. Uh, all free persons, with just a few exceptions, are made Roman citizens. Um, and uh, by, at that point, uh, Roman citizenship has lost a lot of its distinctive character but uh it's still um it's still regarded as a very valuable possession citizenship is is just simply based on territory and birth uh, as in our uh, law
1: um so uh can can we talk about like the contracts in roman law and like what were what were the uh, i guess like what was the... Like, how did they deal with contracts between uh, citizens of the same class or, or different classes?
2: I, in principle, uh, in principle, so long as one's talking about free people dealing with one another, <laughs> no distinction is made with regard to class. Doesn't contracts aren't affected by that? Um, uh, uh, though, although in practice, obviously, in carrying out the contracts, probably there was. Uh, some, some some differentiation but in, as far as the law was concerned it didn't, your class really didn't make any difference even slaves with their master's permission could make contracts um, the uh, con- contract <coughs> system I've just been working on that this summer uh, a, a book on that this summer the contract system is uh, remarkably advanced uh, it's not uh, in, in many respects not the same as we are used to uh, in a capitalist system of, of modern uh, of the modern economy, but it is uh, it is quite sophisticated. Um, most of the institutions that that we know uh, about are found already in Roman law, and uh, um, you know the the, uh, the uh, contracts are. are uh, some of my some of my colleagues have really been amazed at how uh how sophisticated the romans actually were um so uh uh i don't know whether that answers your question but i can talk more about contract law oh
1: mean, actually it would be great if you were to um like can you give us an example uh to uh, so the audience understands how sophisticated they were
2: yeah sure um in in uh, uh the contract of sale is one of the most sophisticated a uh, sale is a uh, is a contract that is formed by agreement between two parties um, uh, uh that is to say without any uh, necessary formality or um, uh, uh, particular words uh, uh it can be formed on an oral basis or written down um and uh, it can be formed in practically any way that the parties want uh, uh it is um it allows for uh, the sale of both land and, and, and goods. It allows for the sale of both actual tangible goods, uh, property, uh, but also intangible goods like like uh, uh, like uh, servitudes, what we call easements, or other. Uh, practically anything can be sold, but can be owned uh, or possessed, uh, and um, and the system that developed is therefore quite sophisticated. Uh, uh it it, it uh, uh describes not only how the how these contracts come to be performed, but how they are should be interpreted and uh, uh and, and executed by the parties and what happens when something goes wrong as as it all does for the contracts. Um what happens when the uh when the uh, process of making the contract is defective or, or when the uh uh when when the parties do not Uh, executed properly that is to say one of them may fail to deliver or the good may be uh, defective in some way or something. So um, um, uh, from that point of view uh, there is is little that we don't think of when we think of sale that was not already Roman law and Roman law had a great influence because of its sophistication when uh, when it it was rediscovered in the Middle Ages. I don't know if that gives you an idea of how sophisticated it could be, but um, uh, if you have particular questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Oh, yeah.
1: Okay. Um, okay, like, okay. The first question is, like, how is like, marriage governed uh, with Roman law? Well,
2: marriage, is a, marriage is a strange institution. It, marriage is also uh, heavily described by the uh, by the jurists, um, marriage is, um, in some respects, uh, 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 quite extraordinary by our standards. Uh, in in the in the Roman Empire, um, the man uh, man and woman come together by agreement, so that it looks rather contractual. Uh, but uh, 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 apart from the uh, institution of dowry. Uh, their property remains with them. That is to say, the, the, whatever property the man and the woman and the woman brings separately into the marriage remains theirs for the entire of the marriage, uh, and they can manage it. Um, dowry is an important exception to that. Dowry is something that is given by the bride's side to the groom, uh, uh, and it it often returns to the bride at the end of marriage, depending on, on how the marriage ends. Um, it is marriage is completely free, um uh, not only free with regard to entry, that is to say, and not only free in the sense that it is formed by the the uh, agreement of the parties themselves, um, but uh, also free in the sense that they that either spouse can leave them there. Uh, hold on, um
1: I may have accidentally muted everyone. Just one second. All oh,
3: right. Hello? Hello? I can still I accidentally,
1: you. I'm sorry, I accidentally muted everyone. So, can you, you were explaining the concept of dowry. I'm sorry about that
2: uh so what what would would you like me to do
0: oh we got repeat, um, repeat,
1: i was we listening repeat. we got the whole thing oh we didn't uh-huh. no, we didn't because I, I, I muted so it didn't record
0: um
1: okay it's, it's okay it, it works if, we'll, if that doesn't record we'll re-record um
0: how does uh how did the banking system and was there banking in ancient Rome there
2: was banking uh there's banking actually already in greek city states and probably earlier than that in the middle east uh, uh banking is quite rudimentary by our standards however uh bankers uh, are are um, are known uh, they essentially um uh, were deposit bankers they took in deposits and uh, held the held the money and then made loans on the basis of it. Um, we uh, uh, we know uh, a reasonable amount of about it. The banks aren't very large usually. Uh, they don't have a great deal of influence in the economy, or at least so it is usually thought. But um, but they do exist, and uh, uh, they are used by uh, by Romans uh, in order to uh, handle business. Um, Uh, We know a fair amount about uh, uh, not only from legal sources, but also uh, from uh, references in literary sources and from some documents that have survived that are records of these banks. Okay,
1: so was there a concept of, like, secure lending and unsecure lending?
2: Yes, indeed, there was a very strongly developed concept. Uh, It's not only... um, not only with regard to real security, uh, that is to say, the use of property uh, as security for debt, but also uh, with regard to uh, uh, so-called personal security, that is to say, sureties. um, uh, Sureties were very heavily used, that is to say, one person guarantees that another will pay the debt. Uh, 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 And both of those were very heavily used, and and, uh, the Romans uh, uh, developed quite sophisticated law with, with regard to both of them. All of this, uh, what what at the time of the rediscovery of the digest was regarded as just unbelievably complex.
1: Um. So what, like, what would happen? Let's say that JD was uh, uh, provided surety for my loan, and I defaulted. Like, what would uh, the,
2: the creditor would be able to sue the surety? Would be able to sue JD in this case? Um. Uh, with, with, um. And uh, that would be true even if you hadn't defaulted, Um, uh, uh, although usually the creditor will go after the debtor first. Uh, But we have... It it becomes more difficult because we have uh, many cases where a a debtor would offer multiple sureties and uh, the question of their order and so on is a complicated one. Uh, The Romans Romans make... uh, Use um, use the concept of security in order to um, in order to uh, liberate the debt structure, and, and it's very elaborate.
1: Um, was there a concept of bankruptcy?
2: I'm sorry. Bankruptcy. Bankruptcy. Uh, it's not quite like our bankruptcy. Bankruptcy is a way in our system whereby debtors can limit their own liability usually uh the Roman equivalent involves creditors closing in and shutting down a debtor um uh, so that's it's a little different in that respect um, but yes it it does happen, and uh we hear um we hear there's quite a lot of law uh, uh concerning it um what would happen would normally be that the assets of the debtor would be seized and sold by creditors um um in order to satisfy the debts
1: how would there be priority among creditors
2: uh, that's a very complicated question usually it's order of time uh but um uh creditors creditors usually uh, actually no it, i i think that's wrong i, I, I was uh, Thinking of this a little differently, I, normally speaking, the creditors line up if they are not secured, so they line up just like creditors do in modern uh, society. They're all treated to uh, uh, to shares of the debtor's estate until their debts are satisfied, or if they're not satisfied, they get a get a portion. Uh, the unsecured debtors are are uh, not well treated from that perspective. The the secured debtors are treated better. Um, they uh, they can usually um, uh, uh, recover first. So the system is, uh, although the system is not uh, uh, completely the same as ours, and in some respects is a little insecure because because uh, these credit arrangements are not usually registered anywhere. Um, uh, they um, the overall idea of the system is not very different from ours.
0: Okay. Uh, what would uh qualify for people getting a loan in these time periods?
2: Uh, for people getting a loan?
0: Yeah, I mean, like yeah. is that also something that's open to everyone or? Yes.
2: <laughs> the 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 short answer is yes, and <laughs> and it would not only be Romans who uh, it would not only be Romans who would uh, get loans, but also uh, cities, uh, uh, foreign governments. I mean, any. Uh, uh we know a good deal about this because every now and then there would be there would be something like the great recession of 2008 when there would be a credit crunch and the credit system would just come collapsing down and uh, when that happens we it would start in Rome usually but it spreads out gradually um as creditors who are being pressed for for to make payments to their creditors start calling in loans and gradually it, it it uh, spreads out um, like a, a stone dropped into a, uh, into a uh, lake. It, uh, the ripples spread out into um, not only into the distant parts of the Roman Empire, but even beyond. Uh, it's, uh, these credit crises were what our, all, many of our financial institutions are trying to avoid.
1: Actually, this is really interesting. Wasn't there one in around 200 B.C.? Where basically like the housing prices like the price of land falls very rapidly
2: i don't think so uh the um the there are a number of these recorded from time to time, but I don't think there's one around two hundred i think that um uh, wars the the two hundred is just at the very end of the uh, of the war with hannibal um and uh, that war itself is likely to have produced a crunch, but the Roman economy wasn't well enough developed by that point. Um there was there was a credit crunch after Caesar crossed the Rubicon and began the Civil War in forty nine uh B C E. Um he um uh, uh, uh set off about. one of these. And it it um it, it's reflected in many sources that talk about the difficulties Um, Landlords in Rome were unable to collect rent from their tenants, the landlords in turn had had debts of their own that they were unable to repay, and so on. I mean, it's just typical of this process of of debt spreading out into society. We had much the same problem in 2008, Um, but uh, uh, the Romans had less in the way of financial institutions to protect themselves from this sort of thing, so it was usually much more devastating. Even than how ours, did, uh, it would be more like the more more like the uh, the Great Depression, in other words, than than the recession of two thousand and
1: eight. Um, what would they, like? How would they? Would there be any measures taken to fix those crises, or did they just have to play out? Like, what what happened? They tried
2: yeah, you know, they try to uh, institute things like price controls and so on. No, they're never very successful, in the uh, the the uh, ancient state is just not not strong enough to do these. They're not very successful in the modern world either, but um, um, uh, yeah, they do try to uh, they do try to to get control again. Usually, though, it's just a matter of uh, of, of gradual reestablishment of financial balance. Um, everybody's supposed to be more careful, and of course, usually they're not.
1: Can we go back to family law? Like how was divorce governed and was there, like, and what about children?
2: Children are, uh, ch- children are held by a very unusual system. Um, the, uh, basically, uh, children are under the control of the father um, uh, through an institution called patria potestas, the power of the father. The Father is not always the actual father but but it can be for instance a grandfather uh you can think of this as the oldest living male in your family, traced just through males so your your father and then your paternal grandfather and then your uh uh paternal great grandfather um that person uh that person is the head of a family unit, a household, the familia and um uh, and uh, in principle the entire of the property of the familia. Um, is owned by the Pater familias, the head of the uh, and um, he also controls all of the uh, all of the children. He does not control his wife um, under the Roman system of marriage, but that that power uh, over his children lasts for the, for his lifetime, uh, uh, no matter how old he becomes, and no matter how old his children become. Uh, so they don't there's not a period of time when like in the modern world children leave the household and go off and form households of their own uh uh, uh it, it, the uh roman household is uh in in theory um completely dominated by the pater in reality it doesn't work out that way at all um usually children are, are reasonably independent but they uh but they can't own or possess anything until the Potter Familias dies. Uh, so that's that's quite different than we're used to, to say the least.
1: And how would the inheritance work after the father died, the, the, the Petrus Familias?
2: Well, it would either be governed by by intestate succession if there was no will, or no valid will, uh, or it would be governed according to the will. Uh, but it's it's quite complicated because of this system uh, and this control that was exercised by an older generation over the over the younger members of the household. Um, usually, the Romans go into court at the uh, uh, at the drop of a hat in the aftermath, because you know if, if you imagine uh, a 60-year-old father with a 35-year-old son uh, who, in fact, at that at the point of his father's death, owns and possesses nothing. His entire future may depend upon uh, uh, being able to get something, uh, an adequate amount, out of his father's estate, uh, and um, and so that makes the Romans very litigious when it comes to uh, when it comes to succession, when it comes to uh, the death of a paterfamilias, very litigious, and we have an enormous amount of law that's devoted to this subject. Um, the The Romans think about it it's it's a complex subject, and I think about it very deeply um uh so deeply that it, it seems like the system almost is hard to manage but, uh, oh
1: did did daughters have any inheritance rights yes, typically the daughters
2: they don't the daughters have inheritance rights uh, in principle equal with males when it comes to intestate succession um uh Usually, Romans try to write wills if they possibly can, and uh, and that might that equality might be upset by the will. Um, but there are mechanisms. Uh, for instance, uh, when 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 uh, children are left out of wills, that can invalidate them. Um, uh, when children don't receive what they regard as their fair portion, they can go into court, and they did. Um, uh, uh, these the way that the the way that the law is written, it often seems uh, to talk mainly about succession of, 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 of uh, boys and grandsons, but uh, in, in fact, women are, uh, are inherit quite frequently. Uh, and a fair amount of, of wealth in, in Roman society is controlled by women,
1: uh, uh, either, uh, either
2: through their dowries or through uh, uh, succession to their parents.
1: Okay. Um, so... So the dowry is, even though it goes to the male, the husband, the woman still controls it. Like, Could you clarify that? That's
2: a, it's, it's not easy to describe dowry because there's nothing like it really in our world, although it's theoretically legal. But um, what happened was at the time of the marriage, uh, a certain amount of money would be given by the bride's family uh, always by the bride's family to the uh to the groom's to the groom or to the groom's family. Often the often the dowry came from the bride herself, um and that money was theoretically, and I want to stress this theoretically, um, designed to offset the expenses of the woman in the household of her husband. But the husband controlled the dowry during the marriage. Um and if he um uh, and, um, <coughs> that was subject to some control, but not a very effective means of control, usually. Um, the husband was entitled to own all of the, um, all of the proceeds from the dowry, uh, uh, and just to keep them, but he was, he had to return the corpus of the dowry, the, the body of the dowry, at the end of the marriage if, um, if, uh, he well, at least his his heirs had to if, if um, he died first or if they divorced. Um, there There are some exceptions to that return, but uh, but basically um, the dowry is designed to uh, to to support the woman during the marriage
1: um, and how like how was divorce done or granted? And second question is can could a man marry like more than one woman? How many wives could he have?
2: I'm not quite sure I caught your question.
1: How many wives could could a man have?
2: Uh, The Romans are are monogamous, invariably monogamous. They have only one wife.
1: And how did the divorce procedure things work when they wanted to dissolve the marriage?
2: Uh, It simply involved either the husband or the wife sending a message to the other or indicating to the other that they were divorced. And they, and at that point, without any intervention by the state, they were automatically divorced.
1: Interesting. Um, oh, wow. And uh, okay. And were there? And the custody would always go to the father, right?
2: In principle, uh, uh, the, the, that seems to be modified uh, uh, to some extent. Um, uh, in, in some cases, was modified so that the uh, wife could retain. Uh, the children, but in fact the children do fall to the father. Um, that, that continues to be true, generally speaking, up until the 19th century, when the rights of mothers begin to be asserted in, in the law. Um, uh, the children are regarded as the uh, as the continuers of the father's line rather than uh, uh, rather than going to the mother by preference. Um, uh, we do hear, however, of, of mothers taking children, particularly very young children, uh, into their care for a time after the uh, after a divorce or after the end of the marriage.
0: Was there a, a amount of social stigma for divorced people?
2: <clears throat> and so far as we know, not much. Um, there's sometimes a, a little embarrassment, but the Romans seem to divorce quite a lot. Uh, we we don't have exact statistics on this uh we know that, <coughs> excuse me we know that divorce was quite common in the upper classes um uh it also seems to be uh it also seems to be used down below in society as well um and uh and uh, the only effect, uh, the, the, the as i said the um divorce takes place simply because the parties no longer wish to be married or one of the parties no longer wishes to be married um it, it is in in that sense blame free um so you don't have to say why you do not wish it you don't uh, there's no court that is trying to persuade you to to stay together or anything the romans are emphatic about that the roman lawyers are emphatic about that there just is no uh bond holding the family together uh, this is one of the areas that came in for criticism after the uh, after the christianization of the roman empire in the uh in, in the 4th century um uh, uh the christians disapprove of this uh, christians disapprove of this easy divorce system but it's still in 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 place in the reign of justinian um uh and um, uh, uh it's very interesting. Uh, uh, it sounds like the latest thing from California, but uh, um, it's just very interesting for this uh, this free this notion of free marriage and free divorce.
1: Um, one thing we haven't touched upon is crimes. Was crimes always things that individuals had to bring forth, or was there a concept of crimes against the state?
2: <laughs> yes, there's concept, there are concepts of crime against the state. Uh, um, the uh, the uh law is criminal roman criminal law is not nearly as well developed as roman private law but uh uh it is it, it does receive some principles of development uh it is um uh it is uh yeah uh, you know, certainly there are crimes against the state um uh that uh, can be treated very harshly uh, uh the uh leading crime against the state is uh, is called maestos, which is hard to translate, but it means disrespecting the state, basically, and usually that means disrespecting the emperor or the emperor's family. Um, the um, and uh, the penalty for that could be uh, execution or exile. Um, uh, the um, that's uh, it. it um, that's
1: Almost uh, not
2: found anymore, uh, except in dictatorial states of the modern world.
1: But what? Okay. So, and then, like, if I were to murder somebody, like their family members would have to bring suit against me, right? Uh,
2: originally, yes. Uh, probably not not necessarily the family members, but someone would have to bring suit. There, uh, originally, that was true, but gradually during the Roman Empire. In part, as a consequence of the influence of the jurists on the on, uh, on the conduct of uh, trials, um, uh, the notion of of public prosecutors starts to to, to take shape. Um, the um, original uh, Roman law, if you go back to the Twelve Tables, still relied on concepts of vengeance um, and uh, um, and uh, and family members uh, for that. That's no longer true by the by the Roman Empire. Uh, the 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 difficulty is that the Romans really don't have prisons as such, so they don't think of punishment as uh, in in terms of locking someone up in a box. Um, uh, they uh, uh, they have a much more um,
3: they, they look they, they
2: look either to capital punishment or to exile as their main ways of punishing people.
1: Very interesting because not like there is an abolished prison movement, and I mean, uh, of course, I, I, we don't do, oh, we do, but we shouldn't. um But it's something equivalent of an exile might not be a bad idea. um Now, uh, can you just go over like procedurally, like how a trial in the Roman with the jurists and everything would work?
2: How, how, basically, a trial? Yes. Um well the um the trial it, this it's um it's difficult to um uh, to describe because it's a long period of time that's involved. But originally, um uh the um uh, uh trial would be um just a contest back and forth between the two sides. Um uh by the um, by the Roman Empire, it's it, it's it's much more systematized. They they, they gradually develop uh, uh, the Romans gradually develop uh, rules of procedure and so on. That can be quite complicated. Um, the uh, in the typical private trial that is between two individuals, uh, each side presents its case and, and a judge decides. But but gradually the judge becomes more and more important. Um, uh, um, as a uh, as the determiner, this is the origin of what's called the um, uh, the investigative system the, uh, that is still in use in some in Italy in particular. Um, the judge has a great deal of influence. There's no such thing as a jury by the end of the Roman Empire. Uh, the judge is is an investigative uh, figure who uh, who tries to get at what what had happened. Um, so it's the trials, though, gradually start to become more modern in the sense that, for instance, there is a um, there's a process of appeal um, that is involved, uh, and uh, and and so on. The, the appeals run ultimately to the emperor. It's ultimately the emperor that decides these things.
1: Oh, so the, was there an appeals court, or it, or how were they structured to eventually run to the empire emperor?
2: you appealed up through the um, up through the process uh uh, uh, you, uh usually the um it's 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 as in our system usually it's um uh, uh, the appeal involves uh, uh, an issue of law that is uh that is at, uh, at stake i don't want i don't want to make the system seem too modern it's not modern it's it, it's still quite um uh, uh antique from a lot of perspectives but uh but it look if it starts to look basically more modern, it starts to um, uh, it starts to resemble uh, modern procedure. Whereas originally the the it was much more informal. Uh, the uh, um, you know, the, um, uh, the 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 decision by the judge at the initial trial was not appealable and was uh, not uh, reviewable. So even if the judge uh, does something that is, is, is clearly wrong. Uh, nonetheless, the aim is to settle the controversy between the two parties. Uh, much the same is true in criminal law. There just is... Uh, uh, now, that doesn't mean that people didn't protest against the decisions and try to get them overturned, but uh, but they have... Um, uh, but they have... Uh, uh, it's, it's just... I mean, there are just more protections involved in the system uh, uh, at the end of the day than there are originally.
1: Um, do you have any other things that we haven't discussed, any last comments or anything that you think um, people should know?
2: Not really. Uh, you've been pretty thorough. so. Uh, uh, <laughs> Thank uh, you. Uh, anything else that you wanted to say? Or?
1: Um, uh, I, I, go ahead, J.D.?
0: You wrote a paper on the early uh, per capita income in Roman society. How was the wealth distributed, uh, and what was the income inequality like?
2: Oh, I I was actually dealing in that paper with with legal sources that refer to uh, annuities. These newly freed slaves often had very little idea how to make their way in the economy. Uh, their masters might grant them annuities that were supposed to support them. And I was interested in the size of those annuities, which indicate a very low uh, income, by and large. Uh, it, it's the amount that's required to keep you alive. So think of it as the poverty level. Okay. Um,
1: so but, all uh, masters, oh, Go ahead. Oh, were all masters required to give annuity when the, when the slaves were freed? Or was it just an extra nice a thing? Customary.
2: Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I just didn't catch that.
1: Were all masters required to give annuity when they freed the slaves? No. Or?
2: Okay. Be, uh, the, the answer is just straightforwardly no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and I, it, it's hard to know how often it happened. Uh, 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 we just have a number of, of cases where annuities were granted, uh, and the annuities come out of the heirs' uh, uh, portion, so um, uh, they are, you know, some, they're often contested. So we know something about the value of annuities. Uh, there are many. Uh, one of the efforts that that has to be made is to try <clears> to recover <throat> something of the economics of the Roman Empire. And we don't know nearly as much about that as we would like to, so I try to do what I can, but so do other people.
1: Um, any other questions, Jadie?
0: Oh, no, this is, uh, thank you very <laughs> much.
1: We, we really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for joining us on your birthday.
2: <laughs> um, uh, well, thank you.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Thank you for listening to Historically a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths taught in school and on corporate media. For our patrons, to become a patron, go to www.patreon.com slash historic underscore Lee. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a wonderful time. Please share and recommend our podcast to your friends. Have a wonderful week.